Okay, welcome to episode 21 of Ask Alex on the OneOuter.com podcast with me, Barry Chalmers, and Alex Assassinato Fitzgerald. Uh, we're really racking through these now, Alex. 21 episodes. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm happy about it. And thank you guys for all listening to them. It's been a good time. I'm happy to be doing another one. Yeah, I was just speaking with Alex uh, before we started recording, and I checked the stats for like last month, and it's one of our best months for our listeners, so... Really appreciate everyone sharing the podcast, and someone must be telling other people, or uh, people are stumbling across us somehow. So it's good that you know more people are listening to it and you know spreading the word. Um, if you want to check out previous episodes, just go to oneouter.com. Uh, you can also find them on iTunes, all the previous podcast episodes, um, as well as the Ask Alex episodes, uh, twenty-one of them. There are previous interviews with Alex himself, plus Phil Helmuth, Phil Lack, Barry Greenstein, and lots of other uh, poker players. So, um, a couple of uh, notes. If you follow us on Twitter, at oneouter.com, that's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M, and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash oneouter. Um, that's a great place to get questions for Alex to me, any suggestions for a show, and if we run any competitions or anything, or Alex is promoting any of his uh, videos or courses for sale, then it's a great place where all that can be found, you know, without having to go through and listen to the podcast again, um, which you can do if you want. <laughs> and uh, Alex, how can people follow you? Hey, you guys can follow me at twitter.com at the, well, at the Assassinato on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Assassinato, PokerHeadRush.com is my blog where I put all the goofy crap I probably couldn't uh, publish on any other site. Bluff.com, WPTMag.com, and PocketFives.com have a bunch of my free articles, I think over, uh, I, I want to say over 100 of them, there might be 200 of them. And uh, Pocket Fives Training is where I do training videos. And most importantly, write me at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com if you want to get free stuff. We send out articles before they go out to every other site. And I'm about to do a thing where you can get some videos of me. <clears throat> you can get some videos of me playing for free uh, if you subscribe to, if you write me there, get on the mailing list. And what, we have a new thing where you can get some free videos. I, I feel so hyper in American when I listen to your like smooth Scottish cadence, by the way, like <laughs> after the beginning, but yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you want to touch on the PCA coverage. It's been on in the UK just now as well on channel four. Oh yeah. And, uh, you featured a little bit about it and, uh, Joe Stapleton apparently had a few things to say. So why don't you tell people about that first and then we'll get straight into the questions as, there are quite a few for this episode. Yeah, thanks for that. A lot of people have been tweeting myself and Alex with questions, so we've got plenty of content for this episode. Yeah, I appreciate that, guys. No, uh, a lot of people just were asking, like, do you and Joe Stapleton, like, have history with each other? Because he, uh, I'm on the broadcast for, like, a solid minute, and it seems like he just goes off on me the entire time. And, uh, 
I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm certainly not mad about it because with the PCA coverage, one outer, Pocket 5's training videos coming out, I have more than one article on the new bluff. Uh, I have that strategy vid coming out, and I also have uh, a new live vid thing coming out in WCOOP up to play. Obviously, you know, getting all that coverage, it's really nice, and it really does help me, and we did sell the copies, but uh, I'm not really sure what was up. I mean, he goes on to, most of it was like pretty joking, but it was, uh, you know, he's awkward, he's skinny, he's awful on TV and stuff like that. Like, it just kind of kept going, and it was pretty weird, but at the same time, I'm a big fan of Joe Stapleton's. I loved, uh, they did something akin to Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live uh, for poker, and I used to love that and, like, just die laughing. I, I listened to his podcast for years, and I understand comedy. Uh, it's not funny if he says nice things about me, and I'm sure the Poker Stars people are like, you know, make them laugh. You know, they're putting a lot of pressure yeah. on him. Yeah, so... You know, he's got to look for easy targets and like the, uh, you know, the awkward kid who's got <laughs> some things going for him, you know, is a pretty easy target. And uh, I mean, it, it, the big thing I wanted to say to you guys, because a lot of you guys were writing like, should you be pissed or should you not be? It's like, it's entertainment. That's not real life. Joe sells, I sell. I'm grateful they pay me for the attention. Um, the it, well, now that I think of it, this uh, this isn't exactly how I'd put it, but, like, Dwayne Johnson isn't The Rock, but, like, I'm not the person I am when I play poker. Like, that's just, uh, in competition, you're a different person, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. everybody talks about what a great competitor Michael Jordan is, and it's like, if you ever watched him play, like, he would just be in the guys. I mean, he was the original battle rapper. He would, like, get in the guy's ear and was like, I just drove your lane, bitch, da-da-da-da-da, you know. And then he went, kept going on. I can, during the whole day, I do not talk a lot. Like, I will have people over in my house, and I don't talk as much as I should. Uh, I, I talk here because it's, uh, you know, it's a business thing, and I really enjoy talking with you guys, and it's about a topic I really enjoy. But in poker, it doesn't really behoove you to just be quiet sit there and kind of look angry about everything if you're just kind of laughing about everything and trying to be annoying to everybody i think that actually helps because you people tend to not give you that much credit and uh they think you're playing a lot of hands when you're really not i really can't get away with bluffing much anymore so i actually do play a lot tighter when i play live so uh, taking a page out of the Soros' book, I try to talk a lot when I'm at the table because then magically I get a ton of action when I do get a hand. And uh, when I do do my bluffs, they're designed in a way that the guy can't really do much of anything anyway because I've, I've found like if they can do something, they usually find a way to do it now. People are pretty talented. But if you're just kind of being a... I, I have an article you guys can look it up. Uh, it, it was called Be a Dumbass on... A, bluff uh they changed it to playing people i i don't know if i like that it is kind of about playing people but you know you are trying to set an image that you're kind of just an idiot i i don't you know don't show up there and like be serious you know what i mean because then everybody's going to want to take your chips and if you're like the if you're the guy who's just there 
uh, for the ride. Uh, a lot of people, when you check raise them, they're like, oh, I guess he's got a hand because he seems like he really enjoys being here. He probably wouldn't be taking this really big risk. But the other thing was, that, I don't know, they were talking about, like, oh, it's awkward and, you know, he's saying these weird things. If you look at the facts, what I actually said, I, I know, I don't think you saw it, Barry, but it was like, I was just making fun of poker players, and I said we, so I was including this. I said, like, no, at the end, I checked back on a river, and I had, like, a huge multi-way draw. And, uh, no, it wasn't a multi-combo draw, but I had over cards and uh, flat. I had over cards to the guy's pair, and then I had, uh, uh, I had a flush draw. And then, you know, he turns over, like, that little pair, and I almost said, like, oh, I had a lot of outs, right? And then I thought, that's so stupid. That has nothing to do with anything, right? So as a joke, I said, should I tell you how many outs I had so you think I'm a good player? And, like, it, the, the kid took it really seriously, which was kind of awkward. But, like, you can see Team Wispy obviously is in on the joke. He's, like, laughing his ass off in the corner. And then I was like, yeah, I should tell you that because that's the whole point of uh, live poker. Uh, you, you know, you, you're trying to save face. That's why we all take 30 seconds before we check or do anything. And that's like all I said. And they turned it into this whole, he's awkward. He comes off bad on TV. Do you even lift, bro? And it was, yeah. it, to be honest, though, it was pretty funny. I laughed pretty hard through, uh, I, 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 I laughed pretty hard at the whole thing. The, there, were, there were a few times I was like, hey, man, you know, you got to let me come off bad on TV before you say I come off bad on TV, and then I didn't even think I said, I, I wasn't even saying anything about anyone else, so I thought it was weird. They were like, okay, that was a weird segment, but, you know, it's cool. Just because someone says a play of mine is stupid doesn't mean it's true, and just because someone tells you, hey, this guy is awkward, bad on TV, bad for whatever, uh, you, you have to decide for yourself if that's really true. Yeah. I think it's fun. I mean, I don't really watch poker on TV at all anymore. Me but, neither. Um, I, I was walk, flicking through channels, and there was a bet on the PCA Channel 4 the other night, and it was Mike McDonald, and he was giving this stare to a guy, and honestly, I couldn't take him serious. <laughs> you know, if he sat and stared at someone like that anywhere out in a bar, they would just laugh at him. Yeah, you know? exactly. Or, you know, or glass him in Scotland, as we say. You know? <laughs> Like I'm looking at, and you're just going, "Are you serious?" Like yeah. it's unreal. It's like it's so put on. It's this like, you know, it's like a stereotypical this. Oh, your poker face stuff and everything. And I just look at it, and I just find it cringeworthy now watching poker on television like that. Right. I mean, that's why that's why I like the only poker on television that I've always really liked was High Stakes mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes Poker After Dark because. There was talk, there was banter, there was jokes, there's this and that. I don't watch this channel for crap poker stars coverage. It's like, exactly. you know, everyone thinks that they're fucking dur, or everyone <laughs> thinks that they're Ivy, and you're looking at them going, nah, this is just, just by doing that doesn't make you dur, or, you know, by taking 20 seconds to check, or whatever, doesn't make you dur. You know, dur makes them dur. Exactly. Just, and I just can't, I can't watch it. It's like, it's just, I find it really cringeworthy and uncomfortable to watch going oh it's just horrible yeah you know it's like it's I, I just don't get it i think poker if you're not talking that it just kills it as a spectator sport mm-hmm. it just kills it you know yeah and i um i 
I can look like a Durer type. Like, I grew up playing cards. A lot of people, I don't know, I'm a nice guy, and, like, people don't realize, like, I grew up with, like, sports bettors. I grew up, like, playing poker games with, like, drug dealers, with, like, shotguns on the table. Like, I've been there. I, I, I can look like that dude. I can... Uh, and I don't even mean to do it. It just happens sometimes when I'm actually, like, deep in thought. And honestly, it's embarrassing. Like you said, it's cringeworthy because you kind of look stupid when you do it. And you want to know how to get kicked out of a private game really quickly? Look like you're dirt. Like, try, yeah. try to look like you're thinking really hard about everything and don't talk to people. That's gotten me kicked out of more good cash games than anything you can imagine. And I don't, I don't like that. Like, and the, the other thing is, like, I, I enjoy talking with people now. I didn't really think – I really enjoy talking to poker players and stuff like that. And when I went to the PCA, I, I don't know. I have this thing. I'm just not into the poker environment as much as I used to be. I'm not into I, – I really can't stand playing live. I'm just super bored the whole time. And I was like, well, if you're going to be bored, man, you should be at least, like, making – having fun with the people at your table, you know what I mean? And then getting to know the people, and that'll help you build reads because you know where these people are coming from, and it'll help you wait. And I did that during this year's PCA, and I had a really good time, and I went really far, you know, treated it like a free roll. And uh, I, I honestly thought PCA, I thought they would, you know, I, I, I thought the people at PCA would really like that because if anything, if I were a television producer – the guys that I would hate to cover are the guys in the hoodies and the crap, you know what I mean, with, yeah. the, with the sunglasses. I'd really welcome if a guy is talking. Now, I made a whole bunch of jokes and had my table. Like, you can see Team Wispy laughing at that one. That, it, they just found, like, the one conversation where the guy kind of looked, like, startled. And, uh, you know, they're turning it into he's an awkward guy or whatever. Now I'm wondering... I made a bunch of other jokes during that day. Are they going to try to make it look like I'm Raincon? You know, and it's like, I, I thought you're trying to encourage people to be talking, to be more lively and stuff. And I agree with you. Like, High Six Poker and Poker After Dark really was, that's the only poker I've watched in the last, like, five, six years. It's just way more entertaining, the really good play and also the banter and everything. Yeah, they, they just work. You know, I've... I actually not even watched the last two main events. Uh, main I don't even, I actually not even watched twelve. I don't think either. I haven't. Uh, I haven't watched the main event. I, I'm not. I, I'm not lying. I don't think I've watched the main event since 2006. I, yeah. I I think Jerry Yang's ear. I watched some highlights just because I wanted to know what people were talking about. And every year since then, I haven't watched it. But yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Like I always do. No, no, it's it's cool. I just like I don't want to put people off as well. It's just my I don't play as much poker as I used to now. So my life, you know, other interests that evolve. And don't get me wrong, I used to sit and watch live streams of the WSOP, you know, late at night in the UK, right? And literally watch every hand. And then I watched like the uh, EPT Grand Final, you know, in Monaco and stuff. I would watch the live feeds of that with the Joe Stapleton coverage, all that. I've done all that, you know, it's, and listen to it, I just don't do it as much now, so um, for a reason, whether it's I don't play as much poker now, or it's because I prefer shows like High Stakes and stuff, and the shows that are coming out now just seem to be like quiet, arrogant, uh, yes, there's the word. Kid, kids that 
think that they're something that they're really not and you know they might do it at a poker table but if they did some of the shit in like a bar or a place <laughs> as I say you know someone would be you know it's crazy that's one of my I mean, favorite what, Scottish phrases by the way get glassed but yeah, anyway, anyway sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah somebody getting glassed um, but uh, right let's get into these questions uh, we got a few of them so we'll try and tackle as many as we can uh, first one is from Darren at Doctor underscore Darren on Twitter. And he has said the WCOOP challenge vids, Alex was randomizing whether to three bet sometimes. What's the reason then versus having a hundred percent three bet hands? I I I think one of the reasons, great question by the way. Uh for those of you who haven't seen the videos, and if you write me at assassinatocoaching at gmail dot com, you can get uh we're if you if you just say put me on the mailing list, you're going to see this offer, but we are going to have a way you can see a couple videos for free. And uh, we're going to have the promotion here soon where you can watch every hand of my WCOOP, uh, every single hand of my WCOOP for $60. Uh, you can set, uh, if you write us at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com, we'll send you the details. Uh, the flyer is going to go up, uh, I think, today, probably in a couple hours, but... Yeah, it, one of the things people see in those videos, which they haven't really seen anywhere, is I use a I use a random number generator to decide when I do certain moves because there's there's a lot of times uh, I'll, I'll give you one like a guy opens from middle position like 25 uh, percent of the time. I have uh, Jack Seven suited. Now I could his full the continuation bet is like 55. His four bet is fairly low. I could semi-bluff against this person. I, I, I could semi-bluff against this person in a vacuum. However, I'm going to get probably 30 of those situations in the next uh, couple hours if we're playing one of these uh, deeper stack W coops. And if I make it a habit to do it every single time I can, well, my three bet's going to be up to like 20% or something like that. That's really easy to play against. You just four bet me more, you flat me more, and you don't really let me take a flop. I don't want to be that easy to read. So what I'll do is I'll put in my random number generator, generate a number between 1 and 100, and uh, I'll decide I want to three bet here 40% of the time. So if the number's 60 or higher, I'll three bet. And if it's not that, I just fold, which is fine because that's technically what you should be doing anyway. And if you watch, like, Ansky, uh, he probably wouldn't three-bet there most of the time anyway. And uh, the reason to do that, obviously, is not to be too easy to read, but people are way better at poker these days. And I notice a lot of guys pick up on timing tells and they pick up on your mood, even through online, way better than they used to. So if you do something when you feel like it, I think people are a lot more likely to pick up on when you're bluffing and when you're not these days because they've had so many more years of training. Back in the day, I think you could do it whenever you want. I, I don't think you can be as frivolous these days. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're a guy like Ansky or Durr, you might be able to pick up on a thousand other things I'm not picking up on. Uh, that would lead you to three bet at certain times and not at other times. I, I don't really think I have that. Furthermore, the more I study poker, the more I realize a lot of these higher state guys just don't, uh, 
not not like dirt uh or ansky but a lot of the guys i used to think were probably pick, picking up on something more really can't be online there's just only so many numbers you can be looking at only so many timing tells you can be paying attention to so i think it's a little better to randomize in that way it's not really dependent on how you feel and sometimes you'll play like a complete psycho and other times you'll play actually a pretty snug game and uh I don't recommend doing it too often, but if you do have people that are kind of perceptive, I think it's a really good way to randomize. Because what I've found is there's a lot of times, like, uh, let's say the board comes with a flush draw. You, you get, like, a small flush draw. Uh, you could semi-bluff this hand by raising on the flop, and conceivably, if he three-bets, assigning him a tight enough range where your flush draw isn't doing as well, you could fold. Now, this is not a preferred play to a lot of people because obviously no one likes to raise fold a flush draw. However, what I tend to find is people don't like 80% of the time call with the flush draw and 20% of the time raise the flush draw, which they should be doing if they're trying to throw a wrench in things and play like David Sklansky recommends, uh, a little more game theory optimal what they end up doing is raising if that's their move, or they call if that's their move. And for a guy like me who takes uh, pretty scrupulous notes, uh, if I can, you know, if I see four or five times, if I learn I can trust what you do one time for what you do all the time, I can range you really effectively. A lot of times people see me like three-bet bluff a flop, and they're like, wow, that looked crazy. I don't know how you did it. And it was like, well, no, because I know he calls with a flush draw, and the only hands he could raise with on that flop are a flush draw or a set, so really it turns into a set or nothing. I have to three-bet. If I don't know that about you because you randomize, and I learn quickly over 100 hands, oh, he can do a lot of different things at different times, I don't trust my reads as much, I end up having to fold. And if you don't take as many notes as perhaps I do, uh, are as a lot of people, you're still subconsciously going to grasp, I can't really get a good feel for this person. So that would be the reason I randomize. I really recommend you do it. If you write me at assassinautocoaching at gmail.com, you can see uh, I, I will have a deal where you can get those videos uh, and you can see how I do it. I've had, uh, I, I've had a guy tell me, you know, he, he's a mid-stakes poker player. He does really well. And he was like, you know, I've always felt like I was even with, like, the best regs at, like, the 50s and the 30s. And this just, like, put me over randomizing. Uh, maybe not even randomizing the plays, but also the timing of the plays, uh, how often you do it. He's like, they're not picking up on anything now. So I've been able to move up. So it, it's really something I recommend to a lot of different players. Yeah, it's just another little edge, isn't it, if people aren't doing that? Just a little thing, man, and it all adds up, man. It's a business. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we hope that answers your question. The next one is from Raphael. Um, he's got a question. He's actually asking it for someone else. Question from a guy who's wondering if, when he should quit his job. If or when he should quit his job. What do you think about the following stats? 576 games in 9 months, 14% in the money, average buy-in $79, 76,000 in prizes, 21,000 profit. 
46% ROI. How many games MTT should be accomplished to guarantee those numbers weren't just luck? Well, uh, thank you, Raphael. And uh, the thing being, 592 games is, like, a part of me wants to go 592 games really is nothing. But yeah, 576. Five, si- I know it's the same thing, but 576. Five, right, uh, it, it's not really that much. And then, no. uh, hold hold on, the dogs are running around, and my <laughs> my wife just uh, gave a shower to the dogs, and my poodle, in his infinite wisdom, decided he was going to do a belly flop into the garden with all the dirt and everything. Cause, uh, so, yeah, if you, you're hearing some angry Spanish, that would be that. But uh, anyway, no, you, uh, here's the thing. Uh, one part of me wants to go, hey, that's not enough. But uh, another part of me wants to go, if you're four-tabling and you've gotten that, I think that really is an indication of something. Because if you're going to four-table most of the time in your career and you've made a solid profit at it already, you know, that's a really good sign. And you're not going to be able to play 10,000 games the way Mormon does or something, something like that. So I don't know at what point you should be waiting till. So it, I, I wouldn't say quit your job. Well, the big, the big thing is, can you get your job back? That, that's really the big deal. If you quit and, like, you're going to take a huge pay grade cut uh, it, when you come back, you've got to consider that as part of what you're investing to become a professional poker player. And honestly, the price for that is too steep most of the time. And there's a lot of guys that go, oh, should I quit my job? Should I quit going to school? I, I worked a job the first few months I, I was in Seattle. I mean, I worked as a fisherman. I worked security and all that, and I played poker on the side. I went to, uh, I went to high school at some special, like, top 100 high school. I don't know why I was there. It, it wasn't like you had to... It, there was a ton of homework, but it's not, I was in the area. It's not like I entered to go into that, but yeah, it felt like a college. It felt like college a lot of the time because you're, you know, between the homework and everything it, and attending classes, it was like 13, 14 hours a day. And I still managed to play poker and all that. And, uh, it, it, I think it teaches you a discipline, like trying to, uh, trying to have a job or go to school at the same time you play poker. And when I quit and became a pro, I had six months of expenses on the side in a, uh, I, I had six months of expenses in the on the side, in a separate bank account, and I had a working bankroll. So that was, uh, you know, that was a lot more comfortable. And I find a lot of the guys that want to go pro have, you know, like a month of expenses and barely a bankroll. Uh, it, it's hard for me to know without what kind of job you have. If, if it's a job you could pick up really quickly, like I could have gone back commercial fishing the next season. It wouldn't have been that hard if uh, when I quit my job. Or and the, the thing with commercial fishing is people skip a season all the time uh, to tend to family stuff or whatever. And uh, my security guard job, I could have picked up at any time also. So there was something, uh, there was something like that. But if your job is, like, specialized and you get some form of tenure, I don't think that's the right word, but if you're getting a certain number of raises because you've been there for a while, you get health insurance and stuff like that, you really have to think about that a bit more. I'd say get to 2,000 games. That would be 
Uh, that would be my thing. If you can get to two, I, I suspect you're playing very few tables, but if you can get to 2,000 games and you're just extending this, uh, I, I would say really, uh, I would really consider it. And also before that, I, I'd recommend reading a book called The 4-Hour Workweek, and it talks about just like changing how much you work. And uh, if you can work remotely, if you can work at home, uh, a lot of times you can do 40 hours of work within about 10 hours. And uh, our, a lot of people just go to the, they, they just go to their work to like fart around and be like, hey boss, I'm here. And if you can find a way to do it remotely, uh, you can get a lot of work done and, you know, then go and do your poker thing. And I, I really recommend, uh, Met, uh, Mr. Menlo said he had a million dollars before he quit going to school. And uh, I, I had significantly less options besides poker, and I still worked a normal job for a year while I was coming up and all that. And it, it probably saved my ass a few times, and I probably still went pro a little earlier than I should have. But I, at the same time, you're never going to know if you don't take the plunge at some time. But I, I'm really a big uh, proponent of see if you can keep going to school See if you can do less hours of your job while you're kind of going between the two and uh, ask yourself how hard it'll be to get back into it. Yeah, and my answer is uh, fish on a heater. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Man. No, I would, I, would, I, would, I would say like five, six, five, seven, six games is, is not enough to give you any sort of uh, statistical idea of your proper ROI, etc. Just like no matter what game you're playing. Right, right. It's nowhere near it. But like Alex says, it's a personal thing. If you're working at Burger King, then yeah, quit <laughs> it. You can always go back and start at McDonald's or somewhere, wherever. If you've got a decent job, like salary position, with like, I don't know what country you're in, but like healthcare benefits, stuff like that, then definitely don't give up your job uh, with those stats, you know, and that profit. So it's definitely a personal circumstances thing. You'd probably need to know more about uh, the circumstances to give a proper um, bit of advice, but as always, caveat emptor and uh, do do your do your own research sort of thing. Um, the next question is from Dominic. Hello, Alex. You are known that you are working really hard on your game and study a lot of regs and try unusual things uh, that you are not in the zone of standard. I just want to know, uh, ask, how do you best, sorry, it's written. Um, <laughs> yeah, English is um, not the first language. English is not his first language, yeah. But uh, I'm just, he just wants to know how you get the best from your studying your own game and any tips on how to make the most of studying. Well, that's a really good question. My next webinar after the WCOOP season, man, all these people are just leading right into my promotions. Thank you, guys. But it's uh, now it sounds like I set them up like a Penn and Teller show. <laughs> you follow at least fake Facebook accounts. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, like I've got the time. <laughs> like, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, no, uh, it, one thing I do that I recommend to a lot of people is uh, when you do an experiment, let, let's say you do an experiment and you're trying to be a scientist or you are a scientist or something. You don't just do the experiment and go, well, that was interesting. You do the experiment, you write down your hypothesis, 
uh, you write down what happened in the experiment, and then at the end you write down your conclusion, what actually happens when you combine this element with that element. And I find a lot of guys don't ever write a hypothesis or what happened, which is, okay, that's fine. As long as you do the work, that's fine. But you should have a piece of paper somewhere where you write down your conclusions. I'll give you one I found out the other day. I found the break-even point for when I could do a cold four bet. And, like, I'm not going to do the exact numbers or whatever, but actually let me see if I have the paper near me on my desk. No. Uh, but it was essentially if a guy's opening 40% and the guy three-betting is three-betting 15% and you three-bet to a certain amount with an ace blocker, it is virtually impossible for these guys to defend. Like, if I gave them the... I gave them the toughest, most aggressive uh, playing back ranges, and they were like a conceivable player. They weren't just uh, 43, 35 out of their minds, right? These were both like guys who play poker for a living. I found like every range I could do, I couldn't find a way these guys could play back, right? So that was like, but it was the closest. That was like the one that was the closest, right? So when I have that, I write that down, and, I, you know, you've got to simplify it as much as possible. So you write down on the top, you know, 40% open, 15% three-bet ace blocker, risking this much, needs to work this much, it will, da-da-da. And then underneath that, you put all the, your points, and then you take that piece of paper around you with the day. You know, you take a quick look at it before you go to the gym. If you're at school, I used to do a ton of work at school, and when I was a uh, uh, when I was a security guard and all that, you know, and I just repeat the stuff to myself, study it. A lot of people have jobs where they can study their stuff while they're there. there. And honestly, one hour of study could give you something. I used to say one hour of study could give you something that would take a thousand hours in the field. I don't even know if I believe that because there's a lot of things like I would have never known exactly when I could do a cold four bet in certain situations just by playing because it comes up so rarely. So uh, only by studying can I do that. And a lot of these guys have like, you know, they have a job where the boss isn't really watching them and they're like drawing a paycheck. And I, I just go like, Hey man, you know, like when, when you're in the work area, just like staring at your free to, I mean, when you're, when you're in a, the lunchroom area, just staring at your uh, Lay's potato chips and like talking with a coworker for 20 minutes about nothing. Tell that coworker, you know, uh, Hey, I got something I got to work on and, you know, read over those things. And the more you read over it and like say it to yourself is the other thing, because this thing happens when you talk to yourself through the, uh, when you read it out loud, you know, you're hearing it as well as reading it. And it's much more likely you're going to remember it. But I find a lot of people don't do that stuff. I also have a chapter coming out. Uh, I'm contributing to a book. I, can't, I don't know if I can say who else is involved in it, but I really go into how you should study. The webinar should really get into it. But I, I'd really recommend you read an article called It's Called No Limit for a Reason. I'm sure Barry's heard me say this like three or four times in other uh, episodes. But It's Called No Limit for a Reason. Uh, Bluff Magazine, you can Google that, and it shows you how often each one of your bets needs to work. And then with Flopzilla, which you can learn how to use by reading the user manual or watching, there's a free training video by Splitsuit. Just uh, Google Splitsuit Flopzilla. And sorry, guys, I just woke up like literally minutes before the show, so you might hear a few more slip-ups than normal. But uh, 
uh, split suit Flopzilla video, and it'll show you how you determine whether you can do, you know, if you can do a C-bet, if you can do a re-raise. And when you have findings, when you have thoughts commingling in your mind, you know, check if they're right, then write down the rules. And then when you play, try to apply them. And the other thing is, there's a lot of statistic-based tricks that a lot, uh, you know, a lot of people don't uh, apply. Like, they hear me say it, and they go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that sounds right. But then they don't really apply it. Like, a simple one is, when a guy donk bets into you, if his full C-bet is 60% or higher, it's really likely to be an honest donk bet, because when he has nothing, he check folds. A lot of people hear me say that, and they go, oh, that's nice. And then they don't really do anything with it. So what you have to do is like write down on a piece of paper when somebody donk bets, I'm going to check this stat. Or when I'm thinking about three betting someone, I'm going to look at this stat. Or when I have a hand I would like to flap, but I'm worried people are going to flap behind me, uh, I'm going to check their four bet to see that the guy doesn't four bet. And then I'm going to see if he just folds a lot to see bets. Write stuff like that down. Mark the hands for review where you try to apply that. And then every morning, I tell people, like, every morning you wake up and you just analyze and see whether this is uh, profitable or not. And don't listen to what – and pretty much everybody who is telling you, you know, don't do this or don't do that or that's weird poker. Or that, I don't even know these people anymore because they're just so boring to me. And there's people every two years that just claim to know everything about poker. And really, they have really good gut instincts. And they just got into poker, so it's really exciting. When these people aren't excited in a couple of years and they don't have the work ethic, you see 99% of them drop off. I've seen it happen five times in the 10 years I've been in poker. This guy's the new hot everything. He thinks he knows everything. Two years later, we don't know where he is. Or if he, he's certainly not near the spot he used to be. And it, you just got to find out for yourself and try to prove it mathematically because – and if anybody tells you it's a bad play, go, okay, cool, prove it to me. Try, you know, try to show it to me with pen and paper. All the algebra is eighth grade algebra. It's really simple. Like poker is, if you break it down to its core elements, as opposed to a game like chess, it's much more simple. It just happens that we make it much more difficult by talking about, I mean, focusing on all the things that other people like to, oh, you know, he scratched his chin while he was considering something on the turn or oh he bet a couple seconds faster or something like that if you work with the statistics you work with how often the bets need to work and just try to grind out those edges constantly like your bet's going to succeed five percent more than it needs to or your value bet is going to get called by half the hands in his range you're going to start seeing a profit yeah yep and uh, hold up and if you want to well, learn more about that uh, I have a new video out ready for immediate download called You Flat Too Much. A lot of stuff about that. Four plus hours at $60. Sorry, go ahead, Barry. No, no, I was just going to say, uh, just, I concur. All right, man. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, okay, um, the next one is from Michael Dillon. Actually, he's got two questions. Michael Dillon on Twitter. Um, first one, do you think 3-bet in your entire small blind range is better than having a flat range against the button at, 50, uh, at 100 NL? Uh, I think the great thing about playing cash games is you're never forced to play. Uh, 
if you folded practically everything from the small blind, I don't think you would be making that big of a mistake. Uh, and sorry, guys, I'm a little congested. So one second. Uh, but uh, I would. Uh, yeah, I don't really think having a flatting range is that uh, great to have most of the time, unless you know the guy is honest versus a check raise. If you see a lot of guys at 50 NL don't have a balanced C bet. Uh, I don't play that much, but when I play like 500 NL, they're, they're like, you know, the C bet is always like 65%, which is really balanced. That's one time out of three, the guy checks. One time out of three, the guy bets with a hand. One time out of three, he bets with, without a hand. And that time he checks is blended. That's really hard to deal with. A lot of guys at 50 and 100 L, NL have a C bet of like 90%. And that's really easy because on most boards, 50, 60% of the time, they have nothing on that board. So you can check raise versus that guy a lot. And you can randomize it by just doing it when you have backdoor draws with an overcard or something like that, or some semblance of a hand. Because a lot of times in cash games, people will call down a little wider with the ace highs than normal. But if you see a guy has a full uh, continuation bet to check raise of like 60, 70% or something like that, you should be flatting because his weak area is when he C-bets. It, it is when he C-bets. And whenever people tell you these blanket things, like don't ever have a flatting range from a small blind, you have to be very suspicious because there's... A lot of times, I mean, it sounds good on paper, like, oh, yeah, I feel like I'm getting exploited a lot of the time when I flat from the small blind. But there's situations where that could really put you in a bad spot. Like if you three bet and the guy's four bet is uh, extremely high, it's like 27% or something. Uh, three betting from a small blind is one of the most obvious steal spots. And this guy could put the pressure back on you a lot more. And if you have a hand like 10-8 of diamonds, which could certainly see a flop, uh, you should be calling there, especially if the guy has a C-bet he could exploit. The other thing is, if the guy doesn't have a double barrel, you should be calling too. Because a hand like 10-8 is really susceptible to being uh, uh, value-owned. If you just make a mediocre pair and a guy can like double barrel and triple barrel for value. But if you see a guy never double barrels without the hand, it becomes really easy to play because you never have to worry about the guy bluffing you on the turn. He just has a better hand, so you can fold. And when he checks the turn, it's to call the river, so you get two streets. Your positional disadvantage doesn't really matter as much versus this person because you're playing a two-street game. The more streets you have to play out of position, the more pronounced your positional disadvantage is. So I, would, uh, I just gave away more information that I really... Uh, should give out, but that kind of stuff is really what helps you decide whether if you're going to three bet the guy, you want to know if you're three betting the guy, you want to ask what you want to have happen. If you want the guy to fold, you got to see he has a nice fold to three bet. If you want the guy to just call and fold on the flop, you got to see he doesn't have a four bet and he has a fold to C bet. And he doesn't have a fold to three bet also, because if he's just folding the three bets, then your 10-8 suited really doesn't need to be three bet here. You should three bet like an A6 off or something, because you're just never going to see the flop. Uh, it, but, you know, you've got to ask yourself, what do I want to have happen here? And do the numbers, uh, do the numbers agree with that? Is that looking? I had a kid yesterday who was like, uh, he had another one of these blanket statements. He was like, I just don't have a flatting range from the big blind. I three better fold. 
And then I was like, okay, let's take a look at uh, one of the hands you do it with. And we talked. He had six, seven is suited. The guy C-bet uh, was 90%. His fold C-bet to raise was, I think, uh, 68% or something like that. But if you three-bet the guy, the guy never folded to three bets, and his fold to C-bet was 14%, and his fold to turn C-bet was 0%. So he was just essentially bloating the pot up with seven high in the exact situation where the guy never folds. So once the kid saw that, he was like, oh, I've made, a, uh, I've made an egregious mistake all these years. But it's, uh, it, if you don't really know what to look for, you end up following these blanket statements that a lot of people try to establish because that makes poker easier, not necessarily most profitable. It absolves you of blame to say, like, I always do this. When in reality, you know, it's much more work to determine the 10 or 20 percent of the time you should be doing something else. But yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Oh, check out You Flat Too Much. Tons of information on how to play from the blinds. Tons of it. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people want the automated thing that they can go, I do this all the time, I do that, so they can play almost on autopilot. But people don't want... The whole thing is it's a thinking game, and the more and more, like, people, they don't want to think, do they? It's like... It's right, just, right. It, it's, uh, it's what do I do with... It's like the question, like, oh, how do you play jacks? You know? It's <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of tough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He also, I uh, said he had two <laughs> questions, and the other one was, uh, I think you maybe kind of covered it there. It's applicable to this anyways. He just said, any advice for flat and four bets? Players tend to click the four bet button so often, so do we flat more, three bet less, or five bet jam more? Uh, it, technically, if you read uh, Matthew Jonda's uh, book, uh, Applications of No Limit Hold'em, he makes a tremendous case for how your five bet actually needs to work the least mathematically. So if you have a guy whose four bet percentage is like 25% or higher, you certainly should be five bet jamming more. Uh, and also flatting is a good idea, especially if you're in position. I find a lot of guys just like click it back four bet, like I'm supposed to fold there, giving me, or not like click it back, but they're like, oh, I'll take the lead. When really I know you don't have a big enough hand that you four bet something standard and you don't have a big enough hand that you just flatted me out of position and let me try to keep bluffing. You've kind of screwed yourself, in my opinion, because now you're giving me four, four and a half to one. And most people, when they four bet, just see bet their entire range. And if they have that kind of weaker range, you can come over the top of it pretty well. And sadly for these guys, they've set up the stacks, so they're going to probably have to jam or make a huge-ass bet over your flop raise in order to do anything. So I definitely think you should be flatting more. Look at the statistics. And also with Flopzilla, you can design ranges. Uh, you go, okay, he's four betting with this range. Design that range. Then put your hand in dead cards. And it will say how much equity you have. Look in a hold'em manager replayer and then go, okay, I had this much equity before I called. Obviously, you can't do this stuff when you're playing. You can't, like do all the flopzilla and everything, but when you play the hand and go with your gut instincts, mark the hand and check and see if it was right. You had to get this price, and you got this price. Was it correct? And then when he C-bets on that flop, how often does he have air? If he has air a significant amount of the time, 
and you have air you should raise to try and take it from him. If you have a mediocre pair and the guy doesn't double barrel and you can see you're ahead of his, it, it'll show you how much equity you have versus his C-betting range in the bottom right corner. If you have enough equity to call the C-bet and you know the guy's not going to make it a multi-street game, you can call there. These are the, it, you really got to get down into the nitty gritty, but yeah, certainly you should be calling four bets and uh, you should be five betting a little more. Uh, I, I wouldn't say do usually the people who four bet a lot know they have to call five bets a lot, but I notice they really choke when it comes to post flop because a lot of times people four bet because they're trying to avoid the flop. They're, they're trying to make the flop simple. Like I want my C bet to work all the time. Oh no, he raised or I, I want him to just fold here pre-flop. So I, I would recommend more taking them to a flop. And if you watch Phil Galfon play, uh, high stakes uh, cash. He he likes to call a lot there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just reading the next question. It's from a different guy. Uh, we, we may as well just ask it. That's what the show's for. And this is what um, you know. It's kind of similar again on the same line. So uh, all right, all right. It's, it, it, it's from Poker Jim. Uh, his name is. Um, with that kind, with what kind of hand would you call a standard three bet out of position? Uh, also, with what do you call a shortish stack open shove? Uh, short, shortish stack open shove. Uh, that one I'd really recommend you uh, get something like ICMizer or Sidengo Wizard, and then get really proficient at inputting all the ranges you think people will call behind you, what the guys jamming. And it'll tell you whether or not you can play. Uh, I, I really can't answer that one, just in a broad sense. Uh, as far as like calling three bets out of position, you want to make sure the guy is very predictable post-flop. There's a lot of times a guy, you want to make sure the guy's three betting like a 12 or 13% range. Uh, it, 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 that is kind of the magic number. That's an easy range to bluff. And when you consider a lot of guys will like flat, like a jack-10 suited, a king-queen off, an ace-jack off suit, if you look at their three-betting range, like the top 12% of hands, 13% of hands, is a little easier to bluff post-flop because it is going to be missing a decent percentage of the time. I remember when I watched guys play six-max cash, if they saw a guy opening under the gun with like 15%, they would go, ooh, you know, you know money in the bank, right? And... Uh, it's even worse with a three-betting range because a lot of times a guy will open a king-queen off, but he'll flat a king-queen off and not three-bet at it. So you have, to be, uh, you have to be aware that a lot of 12 13%, 14% ranges are actually pretty bluff-intensive and are going to miss a lot of boards. Now, you've got to know what the guy does post-flop. There's a lot of guys who, when they three-bet, they pot control with their top pairs, and they bet when they miss. These guys are just my ATMs. And there's a lot of guys I've memorized that do that. I had a guy, I, I don't know if I should say his name now that I've described him as an ATM, but we were talking about, uh, uh, we were talking about, uh, there was a board, it was like ace of clubs, jack of diamonds, five of clubs. And this is a board that's normally horrible to bluff, check raise bluff uh, out of position. But I could do it versus this guy because I knew this guy in three bet pots uh, check back ace nine, ace eight, ace seven, ace six, uh, all the weaker aces, and king jack, queen jack, and jack ten. So his c betting range turns into two pairs and like three top pairs, 
and nothing. And since he has everything or nothing, I could check raise the 2.1x and take the pot away from him over and over again. I was showing this to a student, and he was like, I can't believe this works, but the guy has a really predictable way of playing. That, that's taking it a little more advanced, but if you see the guy's c-bet is like 80% or something like that, generally the only times they check, that is really disproportionately, that, that is really weighted towards c-betting. So if the guy likes to c-bet with anything, pr- usually the only times he checks back most people in position will not ch- check back, uh, will not check back like nothing, especially after they three bet. It takes a hell of a guy to three bet and then get checked to and then go, I don't think I'm going to win this pot and check back. That's just really not in the male uh, mindset most of the time. So usually when they check back, it tends to be a hand. So when you remember this guy's C-betting 80% of the time and that 20% is really weighted towards his pairs and whatnot, you can set up a lot of check raises. And if the guy double barrels a lot, like his double barrel is like 70%, that means he still has a ton of air. So if you have like a nut flush draw, you have a ton of equity here. You can check call, check jam the turn, and it's going to look a lot more like a set. If the guy never double barrels, you can call down really wide with ace highs and one pair combinations. And if you have nothing, you can check race. You want to look for all these susceptibilities. Now, if the guy see that is like 64%, that's a lot tougher to crack. If uh, you might want to fool to this guy out of position because he plays a little more interestingly, uh, especially uh, if you see his C bet and three bet pots is the same. If the person's C-bet is like 30%, that means they generally only bet when they have it. So then it becomes pretty easy if the guy doesn't have a call-down game, you can barrel him off on the turn. Uh, but if, if he checks back, and if the guy bets, you just really easily run away. But you want to be looking for these things before you flat three bets out of position. And... Uh, uh, oh crap, I feel like there was one more thing that you got to talk about there. But no, I, I think that pretty much covered it. Yeah, yeah, definitely an in-depth answer. And, um, regards the, the initial question of calling off shortage, that, like you say, play around with the uh, poker stove or one of these things like that for, for that sort of stuff. Um, okay, last question is from Michael on Facebook. And it's quite a good one to end on as well. That's why I left it last. <laughs> All right. Um, how much would the prop bet have to be that you could not play one hand of poker online or live for one year for you to consider it? Uh, not to play one the hand of poker? Yeah. I mean, I, I should answer some uh, exorbitantly pornographically large numbers so you all think I'm a boss, but I'm not going to do that because I don't lie to you. Because, I mean, this is... I mean, seriously, a lot of times, this is a great question, but a lot of times when you ask this to poker pros, it turns into a, a dick-waving competition. It's like, how big is your penis? Let me show, tell you. And uh, this is how much it would take for me to not play. But uh, since, we're, uh, since we're being honest here, if I could still coach the game, which is where a lot of my money comes from, it would not take me much to not play the entire year. It would kill me, but I would probably... I want to say 75,000 is the absolute minimum. And I'm being honest here. I'm imagining there's a fictional guy uh, like showing up at my door with a suitcase. And like if, 
honestly, for like just fifty thousand, I would be tempted. You, you know what I mean? But like, uh, I probably couldn't take it. I probably would for. I mean, like seventy-five, a hundred thousand. Seventy-five is when I'd start getting really tempted. I think it would just hurt me so much. I don't know if it'd be worth, as far as like development. But like, if I could teach the game, I could be watching the game and seeing what's happening. So I don't know how much it would hurt me. But like seventy-five, a hundred. But like, if it was, uh, if I couldn't coach the game, uh, if I couldn't like touch my hold a manager or anything like that. Uh, I would probably it it would probably have to be like 150 150 I get tempted 200,000 I'd probably take it. It's a good investment for you guys if you want me to quit ruining the games, put it all together. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, if that was a roundabout way of figuring out you could buy me out. Yep, I'm for sale. You know, you're going yeah. you can pay me 200k to sit on my ass for a year. Uh, and, I, and I'll do it for 50 quid. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. It's like, no, it's one of these things that if you think about it, like, especially someone like you that does have other side projects and, you know, you're writing a book and stuff, even like 40,000, you know, like, so you knew you could live off that money and then your time is completely free. You right. know, you've got that money in the bank just to live. So it would, if you looked at it like a year out to do all your other stuff you wanted to do as well, you know? Right, like, right. Like, theoretically, yeah, like, theoretically. Like, theoretically, if somebody showed him at my door at 40K, I don't know if I'd be like, F off, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, there's a lot of times guys say these, like, really amazingly high numbers in these situations, and then when it comes game time, you know, there's just, like, there, there's no chance they would take as high a number as they would say. In the yeah. few times I've seen some of these actually turn into prop bets. Like, uh, you. what was it? What? I hear your dog's howling. You hear my dog? <laughs> you hear my, well, he got, he got in trouble. Could you hear it throughout the episode or did you just? No, hear, no, no, just there. Just he just, there. well, he, uh, my wife has a way of punishing him where she, uh, she doesn't like hitting him. So she, uh, she hits him with the cold water and makes him sit outside and get, get a little cold, but. He's a, he's a, this dog is so smart, dude. He's like, so he never rolls around in the dirt, but right after he takes a bath, he does it. Like, I mean, that's, that's just like evil, man. But yeah, he's, uh, he's letting, he's letting us know he doesn't like being outside. I'll probably let him in in a second. But like the McDonald's bet, like everybody was like, how much would it cost for you to work at a McDonald's? Which by the way, I think is so bad for the industry because a lot of people have to, a lot of people have to do that work you know, for five bucks an hour. And it's like, it's just a demonstration of like, look, look how, look how below this is for me. You'd have to pay a hundred to do it. But like a lot of these guys, when they actually did the bet and they were talking numbers, I heard the guy was going to take a lot less than what he was talking about before. And I, I mean, this comes up in everything, like how much there's a lot of times I need people to do work for a website or work for a video or something like that. And the first number they say is just like, I, I know if I offer you half of this, it's you're going to take it, you know, yeah. but you're trying to set it high. You know what I mean? But yep. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's that was the last one. Um, so thanks for all those questions. If you want questions in for the next show, then email questions at one com and, um, get your questions for Alex. You can also tweet at one com. That's at O N E. O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M 
or again on the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash outer, and you can post your questions for Alex there and we'll read them out on the next show. Um, something else I forgot to mention at the start, uh, the offer from William Hill Poker is still available. You can get a free £15 Amazon voucher um, handy coming up for Christmas or if you just want to buy a few books or poker things for yourself. Or you can have a free £15 bankroll. Uh, all the details of that are on oneouter.com in all the podcast uh, postings. So if you just click in the blog post for like episode 21 or 20 of Ask Alex, you'll see a little bit about how to get the William Hill deal and get that free £15 Amazon voucher or cash sent to you. Um, Alex, uh, closing notes? Yeah, uh, write me, guys, at assassinocoaching at gmail.com. You want to get hooked up with goodies, lots of... Uh, we're looking like we're going to do our first free video series. We're going to have, uh, you, you can get the articles like before they come out. <coughs> Check me out on Twitter at the assassinato, facebook.com slash assassinato, pokerheadrush.com is where I put all my weirder articles, wptmag.com, bluff.com, and uh, pocketfives.com for my articles. Uh, and uh, yeah, I got. If you guys want to watch every single hand of my W Coop with commentary, all the note taking, all the using the statistics, all the randomization, all the analysis, uh, every single hand, high stakes, the you know to the 10k high roller. Uh, well, I think they call it the high roller down to the 215s, the 109s, and all that. It's sixty dollars. You can send it. Uh, write me at assassinatocoaching at gmail dot com for transfer details. And you'll get the, if you order before the 14th, you'll get the W Coop Challenge weekend and you'll get the F Tops uh, weekends. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. You'll get the W Coop Challenge weekend and the F Tops Challenge weekend completely for free. And that, those are just ready for immediate download. And then you'll get all the videos. You'll be able to watch me analyzing the W Coop, what's changed, what hasn't, what works, what doesn't during the W Coop. So if you're a regular player and you want to be getting your study game on, I will have the most current content for that month. And it can be yours with a subscription of, well, it's not even a subscription. It's a one-time payment of $60. You'll get the videos for uh, download within the week it comes out. It's a great deal. And also check out my, if you go to pokerheadrush.com and go to the strategy section, right now you can see all the flyers. Uh, right now, You Flat Too Much is my uh, private video series that's out. It's a four-hour theory video. There's, I think, like 70 hand histories, and there's also PowerPoints and a lot of Flopzilla readouts, and we talk about advanced concepts, uh, why you should be three-bet semi-bluffing more, how you should be playing from the blinds, all this good stuff. Everybody who's bought it has really enjoyed it. That also is $60. And, uh, yeah, well, check, check out on Pocket Fives Training. I have some new videos come out. We're doing, uh, we're doing some deep, uh, in-depth, uh, sorry, my dog is really wailing. Uh, we're doing some, uh, in-depth analysis of the Scoop 500 rebuy that I final tabled. So, yeah, and, uh, the people who subscribed for the last Scoop, they got to see, you know, live me final table a $500 rebuy. Well, not live, but they got to see live video of me final tabling the 500 rebuy while the scoop was actually going on. So got to get a bunch of great reads on players that are playing all the events. Got to see how I handle myself at a final table, all these different situations. 
It's going to be a good time. You should sign up. I'm looking forward to it. I'm so excited to be playing. Good, good. And until next time, uh, goodbye. Cheers. Feel lucky we didn't glass you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>